Today's guest on the podcast is Matt Javitt. He and his wife took a mid-career gap break vacation of almost 27 months to travel the world. And in doing so, a lot has changed for him and his wife, and they've learned a lot about the world, obviously, but themselves and kind of how they want to live going forward. It was a great interview. I learned a lot. Um, some really great advice toward the end of the podcast about when riding a bus in another country. <laughs> But I enjoyed this episode for many reasons, because I'm excited about kind of the travel bug it put in me and just more of a reason to get inspired to really change your life through traveling and seeing the world in different perspectives. So I hope you all enjoy this episode with Matt Javitt. Welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day, and it's what we do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. Today's guest is Matt Javitt. Hi, Matt. Hello, how's it going? It's good. It's good. So where are you calling from? I am currently in Tasmania, Australia. I always thought that was not a real place. I, you know, when, when my wife and I got here, I was, I told her, I was like, honestly, I thought Tasmania was in Europe somewhere, but <laughs> right. yeah, right. yeah, but so yeah, it's, it's, Tasmania? it's a small island. Oh, it's gorgeous. Um, a lot of wilderness. We had a chance to see kangaroos and um, just a lot of wildlife yesterday, and uh, gorgeous mountains. Super crisp air. It's it's amazing. It's it's very peaceful. The whole island. So it's a it's an island south of Australia, and the whole island only has about five hundred thousand people. So oh, it's wow. it's amazing. Yeah. So aren't kangaroos like rodents over there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they're massive. First yeah. of all, they're, they? they just look like big muscles. Yeah, they're huge. But, um, but yeah, they're, we, we haven't seen that many of them out yet. Uh, we're hoping once we go to the uh, north side of Australia, we'll see a bunch of more in the wild. But, um, but yeah, they're, they're supposed to be everywhere, but they're, we haven't had that experience um, so far. We just moved to Kansas and one of the first weeks we were here, my daughter and I were driving by a baseball field and there were like a million geese. And so she and I were from Georgia. So we like pulled on the side of the road and <laughs> looked at all these geese wow. and I did like a Facebook or an Instagram live and all the locals were laughing at me on Instagram. Yeah. They're like, they're everywhere. They're like squirrels. <laughs> it's yes. not a big deal. But to me it was cool because we don't see a lot of geese in Georgia. Yeah, and I'm a, I'm a Midwest guy too from Indianapolis, and geese are man. Yeah, and then people got really bitter about them, like they're yes. and they bite and they're mean and they poop everywhere. Yeah, we had two small dogs, and um, they would attack our dogs, and they're loud, and See, yeah, you don't like so, the geese totally, either. Yeah, totally <laughs> different. Yeah. Well, thanks for taking the time out of your busy travel schedule to talk to me. So let's tell everyone a little bit about what you and your wife are doing. Yeah, so um, my wife and I are currently in the midst of 27 months of full-time travel. We left the U.S. in February of 2017 um, with the goal to, to travel as long as we, we've been doing. And um, we come back to the States in in May um, after being in uh, 35 countries and over 100 cities around the world. 
and we we basically just use it as a uh, career gap in our in our life where um, we're, we've been married for 13 years. We both had careers that we loved and were excelling at, but we just wanted to um, pause to, to get a chance to see the world and um, cure this travel bug that we had <laughs> and uh, experience a ton of things that we couldn't experience at home. Um, and so that's what we did, and we, we lived out our goal and our dream, and, um, and now we're coming towards the end of it um, after being on the road for over two years. Does this have a, a title, this new, like, break and and the career thing to take a breather and then go back i feel like it should have a name yeah i think people people are calling it career gaps um i'm called i call it basically a a mid-career retirement yeah um because because the idea is is we we think we'll be working into our until our 70s but so we just wanted we didn't want to just save over money and do kind of the traditional thing of retire and then, then go see the world when we're in our 60s or 70s. We were we wanted to um, use our savings, so we we basically drained our savings and um, go back and start over. Um, I'll be 43 next month, and um, Nikki's in her late 30s. So it will definitely have to um, get back after it and, and pick up <laughs> careers where we where we were and uh, start making money again. But yeah, that's how we're. Uh, the hope is is to kind of live out these experiences instead of continuing to dream about them later in life where it's harder to travel because of just health right. reasons. Um, we're blessed right now where everything is in good order health wise and and we can make this experience happen happen. and we're both we were both on the same page of um, travel is really important. and then we can take these experiences and then apply them to our next chapter of life and maybe that will that'll change our outlook. Um, in these next 20 years instead of waiting to have these experiences. Do you feel any rush or sense of urgency to save again? I mean, does that make you nervous at all or has this changed you, this experience? Um, I've always been on the more aggressive side of that. Nikki is, is more conservative when it comes to, to those, to that mind, um, I guess that thought process. I've always been, um, Hopefully it's not arrogance, but it's more like confidence that if you have value to provide, then there will be a way to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, there is when you see when you go from a, a point where you're always seeing your bank account increase because obviously we worked really hard to save this money, and now over the last um, 25 months, all we see is our money deplete and go away and, <laughs> and nothing increase. So uh, that it does give you a bit of anxiety. Yeah. And now, and now we're um, we're excited to to be able to start making money again and bring value back in the market and and do those things. But I don't know. I've I've always been kind of like, you know, it'll work out um, if you work really hard and you, you provide it and whatever industry you're in. So I was in technology sales, um, which is which from a pay standpoint can be a um, a great place to be in if you work really hard and you outwork people and you, you line things up. So that's what I would always, I've always put myself in positions where, um, if I give a lot to the job, then I can reap the rewards cause I've always been in sales. So there's really not as many ceilings where, um, so if I can just outwork people and outthink them and, and, um, bring everything I can to the table and put in more hours, then I can, I can achieve those things where sometimes traditional jobs, if you know your pay, what your pay is going to be at the end of the year, no matter what, then um, it sometimes it's you have to make a more conservative approach. Sure. If that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. 
So we had talked offline, um, literally, about the concept of hustle and, and how that changed for you being in sales, you know, working harder, working faster. But once you went to some other countries, um, how the concept of hustle changed. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, I could, that what I was just describing, the idea of putting in 70, 80-hour weeks to basically shorten the, the time of, of learning a particular trade or craft, whether it's sales or whatever thing you're trying to learn. But, and I used to term that as hustle in America. We toss that word around a lot. Like people are getting their hustle on, but after traveling the world for these two years and and getting to really see what people are doing, when you see um, four and five-year-olds on the streets of India um, with their, literally their own small shop selling things as a parent is walking around um, selling something as well. And those kids uh, working hard because they have to for their families. Or when we were in Vietnam, we talked to uh, um, a local that was helping raise money for children because the the kids there were they had to make two dollars a day for their families. So that brought them away, away from education um, because they had to earn this money for their basically for their families to, to survive. We were talking about eight or nine and ten year olds. Um, and then, and then old, very old women, uh, whether it's Cambodia or Thailand or parts of Peru where they're in their 80s and they're selling sandwiches or they're selling um, um, T-shirts or whatever it is on the streets to, to make money so they can survive because there's no social system. Those, to me, when I, now that I've seen all that, like that is true hustle. Like mm-hmm. that is when you're doing it to survive, that's a different level of hustle where we, we – in America, we have a fifty-hour work week, and we're we're having a cocktail on a Friday, and we're like, "Oh, that was a that was a hustle week." It's like you have no idea, um, and it, it's so it's really corrected my my um, frame of thinking uh, on it as well. So, how hard is it going to be after uh, it will be twenty-seven months um, of yeah. travel to come? Obviously, to come back to the real world will be difficult, but I, the conversations that you're going to have with people. Um, I'm sure you've already maybe had some, but what are some of the things you anticipate? Uh, it's it's definitely con- concern. It's something we think about um, because our our viewpoint has changed, and hopefully, I guess the, the way that I'm looking at it is because we're getting close now. We're getting really close to going home and and having those conversations and. And um, luckily, we've met friends on the road from time to time where um, friends from America are traveling. So we'll get a chance to meet them out and, and um, visit with them. Or, And it's you, you tend to want to listen more and not have opinions because we don't want to be judged on our opinions because – we're going to be viewed upon a certain way because now we've we've traveled. We don't want people to think like, oh, there's they're the traveling couple. They they think they have all the answers to the world now. So we don't want to. I don't want to come across as that. But my viewpoint has definitely shifted um, sure. on a, on a, on a few things. So it's uh, it's. I don't want to say it's concerning because we're so excited to see our friends and family and and be a part of those social groups again. But it's one of those things that we're going to be aware of that we don't come across a certain way because. We don't want to be judged upon shifts in I and our ideology if it has shifted in certain ways. Um, so just, I guess, I don't know, I'll probably be tentative and uh, just listen a lot more and shake my head. But if I disagree on certain points and, and my my opinions asked, I'm definitely gonna gonna talk about it. But um, I don't know. It's 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 one of those things where you don't really understand 
like I, I, I just thought about this recently is in India, if you've ever watched a video about India or anything, um, I've just, I just did a couple of YouTube videos on, on India cause we spent a couple of weeks there again and you hear horns honking all the time in India on the streets yeah. of India. All you hear is horns honking and you never, unless you're on a scooter, unless you've ever been on a motorbike in India or on the back of a motorbike in India or in any of those cars, you, you would, you would never understand why they do that so much. But when you're in the midst of it, because I, I went on the bike of a, a bike for about five hours with a friend there, when you're on that bike and you're going through the streets of India and you and, and then you understand why he honks his horn because it's chaos, but it's controlled chaos. And it, unless you honk your horn, they're not going to know you're there in their blind spot because all these different vehicles and animals and all these things are on the roads there. You wouldn't understand it. And that's kind of how I feel about travel is – Unless you've been to these different countries and you've really experienced travel, you're not going to understand why people have the viewpoints that they have. Yeah. And that's how I kind of, when we're coming back now and we're, we're living through it, it's like, it's going to be difficult to talk to people that have never really left their, their walls of their towns or city. And now that we've had a chance to experience these 35 countries over the last two and a half years or two, two, a little over two years. It's going to be hard to have some certain in-depth conversations because they just won't understand it. Just like you, it's you'll never understand why that. But you like Matt, but they don't have to honk their horn every every two minutes <laughs> on the scooter. Like, no, you don't understand. They do have to yeah. honk their horn. They're going to get hit. So that's kind of the the thought as I go back. Is like I'm going to probably have deeper conversations with with some people, but stay at a very high level with other people. Likely. Yeah. It's really good advice for life, though, to just listen, because imagine yeah. if, you know, everyone did that. But it's so true. I mean, I have not traveled the world anywhere close to what you have. But I know just, you know, I can take the sport of triathlon, for example, and just having a conversation with your friend when you're both beginners, say, in the sport. Yeah. And you just chitter chatter about certain things. And then now that I've been in it, you know, almost 10 years and done all the long stuff, it's just a different level when you talk to a beginner. You almost forget yeah. what it was like. You know, you can't unknow what you know. And Absolutely. I can't unknow, yeah. unknow what I know about triathlon or whatever. And so I think that, that that rule kind of goes, you know, across the board. But I, I can see how it would be really hard to endure the complaining of people with their first world problems after seeing what you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things that, I mean, when we see our social feeds and things like that, and, um, I guess a lot of the noise, um, out of the States and, and just a lot of the complaining, I mean, probably legit complaining, but, um, when you see true problems in other parts of the world where, um, poverty is stricken and, and just the, the difficulties that people have, um, in other places and some of the, the luxuries of America, just by being born in the country, um, you just, you're, you're struck with a lottery ticket right off the bat. And, um, it's, it's difficult sometimes to, to see, um, I mean, everything that's going on, just this, yes. I mean, not sure, not sure when this is going to air, but it's the idea that these celebrities were paying millions of dollars for their kids to go to certain colleges. I mean, those are just, it's just crazy things yeah. from the outside when we, um, when we're, when we have a chance to, um, visit people in some of the most modest living conditions in India or, or Thailand or Vietnam or, or Peru or Chile. And you see, you just see what people live with. And then to understand that, um, 
the the loopholes that we're trying to be jumped through in America. <laughs> and it's just not just not the, the, that privilege just doesn't come inside America. Obviously, it comes when you know everywhere around the world. But um, it's just some of those problems like that that are being discussed at, on a on the social media. Uh, those are things that uh, I'm probably not that excited to get back into. Yeah. What does privilege mean to you now? The term privilege. Um, I think that the biggest thing is opportunity. I think the 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 idea that gets lost is the the fact that there's so much opportunity gained um, in a, in the U.S. And to me, that's privilege. Is the idea that you can chase that dream. Yeah, yeah. You might, um, depending upon when somebody listens to this, they they might. If you're in your early 20s, there, yeah, there's a struggle period where you got to bust your butt and you got to work through things. But the privilege of that opportunity is there because. Um, before we left, probably one of my biggest things that I've changed before we left is the idea that anybody can can become anything. Um, I really truly believe that, and I, I thought that that um, no matter what you're born into, you can work through it, and and as long as you set the right goals and and you can overcome those challenges, um, that you can become anything you want in life. America is a place where you can go from zero to a billion, and, and it's happened. But now that I, I, we had a chance to get exposure to other parts of the world, um, I don't I don't believe that anymore. I think some people are just dealt a hand that is is impossible to break loose, and those are outside of the walls of America. I still think in America you can do that if if you've mm-hmm. you've got the ability um, and you've got the desire and the will, you can become anything you want to become. But there's other and that's privilege um, because there's some places where we've met extremely talented people. But then when you hear how the government or um, maybe some um, some different things in their community that that are almost that are truly impossible to break free of or the demands of their family and the guilt that their family puts on them because of how their culture is in, in some of these different societies, um, you can you can understand that they're not dealt the same hand and they don't have that privilege to chase any goal um, because it, the reality is, is when when Nikki and I would tell our story to some of the families around the world that we've stayed with and they would really dig in and like, oh, so man, you guys left your careers at this stage of life and they were asking questions. You could tell that that would never be an option for them because they've got, um, they've got a parent living with them or they've got two parents living with them or, um, they just have the burdens of, of their families and the, the, the community that, that really depends on them so they could never leave. Um, yeah. so, the, so those are things that, we understand that there, the choices we can make, um, those are privileges and the, and the things that we, the goals that, and the dreams that we chase, um, not all places have that ability, um, to, to do that. So what are some of the hardest things that, that you and your, I know you guys have seen some great things and you've, you've done some really fun stuff too, but what, and I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer, but, um, what are some of the hard things that you've seen? Um, yeah, so the whole journey has been amazing, and I—that's I, what I always like to repeat it because we don't—we don't take anything for granted. This has been a, a dream come true. It's been more than we could have ever imagined, and it's—it's it's been amazing. But some parts it's been enlightening as well, and uh, there's been um, sadness at times. We—we we volunteered with a uh, an orphanage in southern India. Uh, it's called a region called Kerala. And part of that, part of our journey, I, w- I reached out from time to time and I just find either community leaders or church leaders and just say, hey, um, we're in the region. We, um, part of my upbringing was sports. I played Division One basketball. Sports has always been a big part of my life. Nikki as well. She was in gymnastics. So I believe sports can really change kids 
Mm-hmm. Um, and adults as well. But I think kids do that discipline, the, the, um, a goal, the teamness of it, uh, um, being accountable, all those things are really important. So I, I really, um, thrive on sports. So we would go to these different towns and I would reach out to the different people, community leaders and just say, I'd like to purchase equipment or some sort of sporting equipment. Also we'll buy some books and stuff like that. But, um, what do you guys need? And, um, in the Kerala, India, this orphanage, they had 55 boys from, uh, the ages of, they're 11 to about 15 years old in this in this orphanage, and I reached out to the head the head gentleman there, and he he listed out like soap and shampoo and hair oil and all these things. But then I um but then we also had a chance to buy like basketballs and um, soccer balls and cricket gear and stuff like that. And we pulled up into the orphanage, and um it was dead. They had this amazing basketball court, uh, a soccer field. And this other little play yard, but there was, it was like three o'clock in the afternoon. Nobody was out. We pulled up, we like rented a, an Uber and pulled up and then opened the, the back um, of the trunk and just started pulling out this, this equipment as the head, head guy came out and greeted us. All these boys come running out of every wall of this, <laughs> of this, uh, orphanage area. And I just started th- throwing the balls and they just, they started having fun. And, and it was within five minutes, the whole place was filled with every child there. And it was wow. amazing, but not one kid had a pair of shoes on and it was, and I saw him. So I, I played hoops my entire life. I grew up, um, playing basketball every, every uh, minute of the day that I could have a ball in my hands. That's what I did. Or I played baseball or football or, or, or whatever sport it was during the season. But basketball was my thing. I never once thought about playing ball barefoot. I just never did it. And to see these kids running at high speeds and playing, because they were trying to show off for me too. Sure. And they were up and down the court with no shoes. Not a single one of them had shoes on. So that like really, and, and India's different. Like they don't always wear shoes everywhere. And you see kids that they'll walk the streets of India where there's, where there's things all over it. And they just don't wear shoes as often. So it's kind of a part of their culture, but it's also part of not having enough. And um, to see that, uh, that that really hit me, um, and that was something that like to understand poverty at that level, where um, you just you, you, some of the things that you just like, hey, everybody wears shoes, like no, they yeah. don't. Um, and but at the same time, not caring, having the time of their lives, and just just being one other obstacle they had to get overcome, um, and and dealing with it, and that so that's those are things like situations like that 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 you can just learn so much from, um, things that you might take from granted from day to day that other people just see it as, Oh, it's just, it's a part of our life. Um, those are the things, um, those are the experiences that, that are sad, but if you look at it the right way that, um, they're learning experiences as well. It's just sort of reframed your belief about what is enough, right? As far as material. Yeah, absolutely. And that's part of, part of our, um, we got it on our website, but ex- we're, we're big on experiences over things. Um, not that we're minimalist because minimalist is like th- they live to an extreme, but Nikki and I never really, we're not big on buying a lot of stuff, um, period. Um, but that it has really made us think about, um, yeah, you really just don't need much because the people that have been probably the most inviting, we've been, as we've traveled, we've had the opportunity to stay with a lot of different people and, and people have been inviting from all different classes of life. But um, it's it's weird that even though some of the poorest people don't have as much, they'll be the ones often the quickest to say, hey, why don't you come back to our house? 
and let's have a let's have a coffee mm-hmm. and let's just talk. When when you in it when you go into their homes, um, they're extremely um, humble. Uh, I, I guess it, minimal uh, living standards, but they're the ones that want to. Um, be the most inviting to you. And that's not in all cases because we've had a chance to um, stay with some people that that come from a lot of money as well. But it's uh, a lot of times the ones that are the most welcoming have the least. Yeah. So where would you recommend that someone go for a first time world travel adventure? Well, if... Um, with kids. Guess, Let's start with okay. kids. Yeah. So if, if you had children and you've, o- you've only been in America, um, I would highly recommend um, – I think Europe is the easiest way to get that travel travel bug. Um, that's where I got introduced my, my first time. Um, it was Istanbul, Turkey, but um, which is on the border of both Europe and Asia. But the first time I saw that, I was, I was done. I, I, and I, I did that in my mid-30s. And once I, once I saw how different the world was – I came back wanting to see so much more. But for me, if, if I had kids and it was, it was a way to get them exposure, not struggle with the language, um, I would look at places like um, Lisbon, Portugal has been a favorite of mine. Um, Poland is amazing, um, both Warsaw and Krakow. Obviously, uh, because the, the deep history, um, if, you go to, if you visit Krakow, it's an amazing city because it kept all of its, a lot of its architecture from before the war. But then you have a chance to visit visit Auschwitz as well, um, which is extremely heartbreaking. But um, it's a reality of, of the history of the world and something that I feel like everybody should see and, and visit and understand. Yeah. So those, things like that. And then um, obviously places like Ireland are, are amazing, but um, they'll give you exposure to, to new cultures. And, but it's it's an easy transition with children, but it'll give you that travel bug to understand that man, the world is different. Um, but uh, it's not it's not all like we see um, in America. And I think it'll give you the desire to want to see other places, but then come home changed. If yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tell tell us a little bit about um, when your brother met you guys. Was it yeah. Vietnam? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, my brother had my brother and his wife. They're um, they're older than, um, Nikki and I, and I think the only time that they had been out of the country, um, had been to the Bahamas, um, and, and re- kind of resort type style. So they had never traveled internationally when it comes to like something exotic. So, so we invited them over our journey. We we're like, anytime you guys want to come, please come. So they gave us a window and, and I said, okay, let's, let's meet in Vietnam and let's go to uh, the city of Da Nang, Vietnam, which is in the central part. It's on the coast. And it's amazing. Um, Nikki and I had been there a couple of times before because Southeast Asia has really called us. We've we've spent about seven months during our two years in this region, and um, we loved it. So we just thought that if they had nine days to travel, um, we could stay there. But within probably an hour's scooter ride, there's a ton of stuff to do. So my brother and his wife came, um, not knowing. I had no idea how they, the experience would go because they had never done anything like that. But um, they were both amazing travelers and, uh, we, we took the scooters out a bunch of places. We saw monkeys, we saw the great sights. Uh, we, we actually, um, bought a couple of suits together cause t- <laughs> Vietnam makes amazing suits at, really? at discount. Oh my God. Yeah. You can get custom made. Uh, we had tailor made suits that I guess that makes you, sense. A lot of our imports are yeah. Vietnam when you look at the, clothes. Oh, if you, yeah. 
Absolutely. And if you look at any of the good bags you have, a lot of them say made in Vietnam. So uh-huh. brands like North Face, Columbia, a lot of them are there. So they've got these um, uh, great facilities to make amazing clothes. So you can go, you can go to in these, these tailors and because they have all the fabric there, the fabric is not from Vietnam, but they have all the fabric there, but they have these amazing tailors that, that do all the work and stitching. So we did that and um, we just had a chance to see different parts of um, that region and really take it all in and, and visit with locals and go to local markets. So everything that I had hoped to accomplish and the weather was absolutely perfect. It was in the eighties. So, um, everything that I had hoped it would get out of it, it actually was even more because he left saying, Oh my God, this is amazing. Um, and we, we had all these shared memories together. And now by the time he was going home, he was like, how do I come back here? How did I, <laughs> um, I just talked to him again, uh, just a couple of days ago. And he was just saying like, dude, I miss Vietnam so much. So that, and that's, it is like, that was his first exposure. Everything went really well. And they went home thinking, okay, how can we do this again? And for me, um, as an avid traveler, um, to experience that with my brother and now know that in the future, I could, if I'm thinking about going to Columbia or Jamaica or different places that are on my bucket list, um, I can invite him and he might actually think about it. Because before, right, right. it was it was always like, dude, why do you want to go to Brazil? Like, <laughs> what's in Brazil? And I'm like, you just don't understand. If you go, you'll understand. And so now he gets it. Like, we were out on the scooters one day and, and he's just uh, in Vietnam. And he's like, Matt, I get it. I get why you guys did what you did now. I see why you guys love traveling so much. And I was like, I see, I've been trying to tell you this is how amazing it is uh, in other parts of the world. And it doesn't mean that, that America is not great. It, means, it just means that there are other places that are um, just as great and that you can take experiences from and change the way that you, you view uh, your hometown back home. Yeah. So what about haircuts overseas? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, so uh, part of our 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 process because both of Nikki and I were both very type type A people and we we wanted to um, we wanted to just continue to give value in some way so we started we we first initially started a blog and then we a, a year in we did a podcast and about six months later um, we started a video series called World Barbershop Adventures where um, I was getting all these amazing haircuts uh, in different countries. And then I was actually in Budapest, Romania, getting a haircut, and I was talking to the barber, and he was asking me all the places I'd been, and I was telling him about the guys in Hong Kong and these dudes in Peru and all these different thing haircuts I had gotten. And he was excited. I was excited. And um, I went home that day from the barber shop after my cut, and I just told Nikki, I said, hey, I think we should make a video series on my experiences in the, in the barber chair, but then also give a, um, a cultural flavor to the videos as well. And we agreed, and and um, she's been an amazing um, camera woman with her iPhone iPhone camera iPhone uh, in her hand as I get these haircuts. And um, so we've we put together we're up to fifteen different cities now around the world where um, we capture the cultural experience that we're we're having while we're there. But then also my time in the barber chair getting unique shaves, whether it's a a shave, a haircut, a beard trim, um, exotic things like. Um, fire on my ear like they did in Doha, Qatar. <laughs> um, Two-hour head massage that I got in Tokyo. Oh, I'm all. At, where is that? Yeah, That's where Tokyo. I'm going to travel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then like the guys, like we were in Bali, they were like cutting my fingernails and waxing my ears. So crazy stuff like that. Um, 
we've captured along the way and, and put that into the document series, doc, uh, docu series on YouTube. Uh, so that's that's been a lot of fun to do as well. That's awesome. Okay, so let's talk about your Kickstarter and the photo book. That, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. So, um, so like those projects we were doing, um, probably my most fun and passionate project that I've had along the journey is a, um, I've been taking photos of police officers in these different, um, countries and cities we've been traveling to. And it all started, um, we were in our first city, Santiago, Chile. Um, I saw this, um, um, uh, a police officer on a horse and I just asked her, I said, do you mind if I take, it was just a, a unique photo for me to take. And I took a photo and then the next city I saw a police officer with a dog and I took a photo um, of, of that gentleman. And then, um, and all of these people just happened to be where we're walking. So I told Nikki, I was like, I'm gonna try to do this as we go. And just as, as luck uh, or, or life has happened, um, I've been drawn to police officers in all these different cities where we're just, I, either I'm out walking by myself or Nikki's with me and we're just walking to see the city. Um, and now I have over 60 um, photos of, of police officers around the world. So I'm going to do a Kickstarter campaign to create a photo book of these photos um, so I can share the, share them with other people and hopefully um, create awareness for the police officers that, that wear uniforms in America, but also to celebrate uh, um, police around the world uh, in, this, in this photo book. So my hope is to do the Kickstarter campaign, raise the money um, to create the book, and then, and then be able to, to share that with other people. I think that's awesome. So what is something that you do on a daily basis that you think makes a difference in your life? This podcast is called The Same 24 Hours, which is born out of the idea that we all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those 24 hours that makes a difference. So what is something that you do on a daily basis, either here or wherever you are? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what um, is something you do daily? So, um, gratitude is, is a big part of, of our life and the idea of just being thankful, um, consciously being thankful for everything that we're given in the moments that we have. So, um, to start the mornings off just with a, a ton of, um, thankfulness for just another day, another opportunity to experience what we're experiencing, but then also just the, the thankfulness of being put in the place to um, to have the desire to achieve the goals and, and and to to accomplish what we've what we've had a chance to accomplish and just the the exponential gratitude to say um, maybe I'm not deserving maybe I am deserving but thank you so much for giving us the ability to do what we're doing and just that next day of experiencing it and then and then living life to the fullest and also always looking out of the front window of any vehicle where you're riding. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. No, the side window. You said don't yeah, the side. look out you know, the front because yeah, we were talking about going is... up the up and down the mountain in Machu Picchu and yeah. I had said I just couldn't because I would be terrified. And you said the best advice is to always look out the side window. Yes. It, whether <laughs> it's it's Machu Picchu in, in a bus in Peru or in a, uh, in a, on a scooter in India or in a tuk-tuk in Thailand – don't look out the front because you'll just get freaked out. <laughs> this is great, Matt. Thank you. I'll post up the link to the Kickstarter and your social okay, media. Yep. And I look forward to hearing the recap when you get back. Okay. Thank you so much for having me.